0: you know when bitcoin's at 40 or 50,000 a coin hey you know not too many really really care about it but if bitcoin's going to 10, 50, 100 million bucks a coin which we think it is or I do anyway and you know then NVD, <laughs> that, that, that's a that's a very different conversation you know you don't want to be holding all of that stuff personally because then there's just a massive target on your back
1: This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk
2: finance, and we talk shit. We appreciate you joining us again for a provocative rip with Mr. Peter Dunworth. Peter is a financial advisor and the founder of the Bitcoin Advisor. Peter assists with multi-institutional multi-sig, keeping your Bitcoin safe in a multi-custodial and multi-jurisdictional setup. Peter has some high expectations for the price of Bitcoin over the next decade. Very high. It's no wonder he is so obsessed with safe custody. Mr. Dunworth is a survivor of a shark stalking, extremely articulate, and not above laughing at our horribly immature senses of humor. This was a pleasure, and we are sure you're going to enjoy it. When the conversation converges on multi-sig, there is one signing device we both adore, the cold card Mark IV. This baby is locked and loaded and ready to protect your precious sats in a multi-sig quorum. The cold card hands you every available feature you could ask for while being accessible to the layperson. It is a superlative device for protecting Bitcoin. We believe it would be a mistake to cold store Bitcoin without at least one cold card. Get 5% off the cold card Mark IV with code BCB at checkout. And finally, if you're planning on going to Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville or to Bitcoin Asia this spring, use code BCB for 10% off your tickets. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Mr. Peter Dunworth.
1: Peter, welcome on. Dunworth, you sweet son of a bitch. Thank you for uh, joining us, dude.
0: Pleasure to be here with you. How are you, Peter? It uh, was great catching up with you at... uh... Pacific Bitcoin earlier this year and thrilled to be catching up with you guys in, uh, well, on the pod.
2: As are we. Um, listening to you on what Bitcoin did along with, you know, you've been on a ton of different podcasts, by the way. I didn't realize until I was doing a little research for this. You've been on almost everything, but you had a story that really hit hard with Peter about the shark attack or almost shark attack, this, the uh, the near miss that you had out on a paddle board. Mm. Um, just blown like i had shivers going up and down my spine listening to you recount the way that you almost got consumed by a great white that that was wild i mean i don't want you to have to recount the entire thing for us uh part by part here but honestly one of the most skin crawling stories i've heard on peter's podcast and in general
0: that is that had to have been a wild experience yeah it it it, it still it, it doesn't feel real you know, looking back on it, like just how much danger I was in. And, you know, Bitcoiners talk a lot about black swan events, and this was the perfect setup for that. There hadn't been a shark attack in Sydney in 73 years. So I presume that there were no sharks in Sydney. And um, I was training for a paddleboard race in Hawaii, which was between the islands. It was 32 mile race. And so my training was basically paddling, you know, maybe 15 to 20 kilometers or roughly about 12 to 15 miles as a training run and i'd speak to the local lifeguards who are sort of in and around the stuff you guys do and they'd they'd say to me i'd like oh come for a paddle with me be be a lot of fun and they're like well we're not going out there like come on there hasn't been a shark attack in 73 years and they're like yeah there's still a lot of sharks out there we're not interested in that and it's like oh okay well i'll just do it by myself and you know that um naivety and um in going and doing that and that wasn't the first paddle i did like i did hundreds of paddles um similar to that to get ready for that race but you know um makes me nervous thinking about it but to be within a meter of a three to five meter great white shark when you're you know half a mile offshore is Absolutely terrifying. And the worst part is, like, I had to use my hands to actually move if I wanted to move. So, you know, they right when you talk about sharks and you see a shark in the wild, they always say, Oh now, if you see a shark, just don't move. And it's like, pun the French, but fuck that. I'm not dying out here like a bit yeah. of bait. Just come up and eat me while I'm just laying there limb. I'm like, you know what? Channeling my inner fifty cent. I was yeah. like, you know what? Just die trying. Just get to the beach as fast as you can. And Literally I spent maybe forty five minutes. Wow. Yeah, probably close to forty-five minutes in the water with this thing. And uh, I've got to say it was terrifying. Like it got close enough to me that I could have literally fallen off the board and touched it. So um Wow. And when that happened, I was probably And the a thing starked you. Shore. The thing
1: legitimately stalked you.
0: Yeah, for 45 minutes it followed me. And um and this is where you you guys probably see this all the time, but when you do um When you have adrenaline, it really messes with your decision-making capabilities The come down Mm. from the adrenaline. It's like, so I can only imagine what you guys do with your work. You know, you're all juiced up on adrenaline and then, you know, it drops and you've got to make clear decisions. I clearly made some very poor decisions after initially seeing that shark. And the decision was rather than go to shore and I was only 500 meters or 500 yards from the beach. I literally turned around and started paddling back to Bondi, which was like another hour and a half in the water with it. And it wasn't for another 30 minutes that it popped up again next to me after feeling the water movement underneath me that I realized, oh, shit, I have made a grave mistake. Like it could be a fatal mistake in paddling back to Bondi. I should have got out of the water half an hour ago. But luckily for me, it didn't do what... um, what it should have it basically did a whole lot of nothing and followed me around and i didn't have to worry about uh any of that so i fortunately got to shore and needless to say i don't paddle offshore anymore it's uh <laughs> i've given that one away yeah that shark would have just been
2: following a trail of incontinence if that was me on that board i could tell you that <laughs> for sure that is yeah. <laughs> that's a wild that is don't, a wild do- story Peter, you must just be
1: uniquely tasty shark food. I don't know. It's seventy some years. Nobody nobody gets attacked, and then it just decides you sniff up your butt. I don't know. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I look like a pork crackling now. So yeah. To your adrenaline comment, couldn't agree more. I mean, it it fucks with you. Yeah. When that when those endorphins are pumping and that heart rate's through the roof, and I think one of my observations, obviously, there's there's tons of of high stress, high intensity. Vocations and jobs, but from what we do, yeah, it, it can get pumping. And I think what I've had to realize over the years of, of being a firefighter is you're never going to control the fact that that's going to happen. Your your heart rate's going to be through the roof. You're going to be super nervous. There's things that are going to amp you up. It's about how you cope with that stress. And I do think that that can be a learned skill, right? If someone's weak at that and tends to freak out, right? Which Josh, I'm sure you'd agree. We see people start this career that come a long way when they first start responding to nine one one, they do dumb shit. They pull the pigtail out as they're leaving the, (laughs) the, the, the the bay. They leave their turnout gear on the apparatus bay floor, headed out on a fire alarm. I mean, there's been some unbelievably stupid shit that they would never do with a clear mind and no stress, but as time goes on and they're under those tensions more often, you build that, you build that reflex, but there's nothing quite like being stalked by a great white shark not and quite. yeah, you, we're glad you're here. We're glad that thing spared you. It allowed you to come on the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast. Thank you to whoever that that three meter gray <laughs> white is. Wait, what, what's your final tip? Before, how long was it? Give us an official measurement. He's talking about the shark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He just comes back and goes, I'd say say six six flaccid, nine hard. Oh, you're talking about the shark.
0: (laughs) The grower, not a shower. Oh, how many minutes in are we? We're already there. Great. Uh, (laughs) uh, I I personally think it would probably be over 13 feet. So the reason why I say that is I I got to see its dorsal fin clearly. And what I didn't see was Mm. its tail. And I think a great white needs to be over thirteen feet to have its tail sitting in the water because as they grow older, they sort of bend, and um, they sort of end up being a bit like a banana. But the younger sharks and small sharks end up quite straight. But so given I couldn't see its tail, I think it's over thirteen feet, and you know, chalk that one up to and it's uh, shaped there, like yeah, a shark. shaped like a banana. That's it. Yep,
1: I hear you, um, Peter. Give us a fairly thorough breakdown of who you are and your background. You've been on a lot of these shows. I know you've given it before. People like to latch on to your big valuation number. There's a lot more to you and your background than just throwing out billions on Bitcoin. And we're going to get into that because you're actually a very nuanced, balanced, thoughtful thinker with an enormous amount of experience in finance and advising and markets. Feel free to spare no detail. Catch us up to speed on who you are
0: and how you got here. Sure thing. Um, well... My interest in business started with my father at an early age because he was self-employed. He ran, well, he owned a a waste management business and revolving around oily waters and sludges, waste treatment, and um, built a very successful business on that. We always talked about business Mm. from an early age and knew that I wanted to be in business in some capacity. So I went to university, studied accounting and finance. Um, Those two um, majors were able to give me the broadest uh ability to go into business because it's the most um broadly used majors um across that and then from university or or college school um i went into a fund management business called bt funds management which um, was the old bankers trust it had a fabulous reputation um and they did some wonderful things during the 1987 crash they were about the only investment bank that actually called that crash and managed to make uh, millions, if not billions of dollars in that one week period. Um, I was there for a very short period of time. And then I had a chat to um, who uh, a mate of mine now, but um, a total stranger at the time. And uh, I was fairly aspirational as a 21-year-old. I wanted to be an investment banker and earn a million bucks a year. I met this great man um, who's still a great mate of mine to this day, catch up with him every other week on average. And um, for the first time, I hadn't known him, never met him before in my life. And uh, within 30 seconds, he said to me, Pete, what do you want to do with yourself? I said, I want to be an investment banker and earn a million bucks a year. And he took one look at me and said, mate, you're too stupid to do that. Why don't you come and do mortgages where we're all stupid? (laughs) (laughs) I love that honesty, Uh, though. You got to love (laughs) a mentor who's just dead fucking
2: honest with you. You know what? I
0: was just like- That's not really the way the- Damn, his asshole. I'm picturing it's this right, Matthew got- McConaughey
2: character out of the Wolf of Wall Street when he's talking to the young uh, up and coming broker. Like I just can't imagine him going, mate, you're just too stupid for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, he um he's probably more of a character of um Alec Baldwin out of uh 30 Rock. He's he's that okay. type of guy. So he was he was fabulously instrumental in getting me into mortgages and sort of some background there is at the time i'd spoken to the managing director of credit Suisse in australia at the time i would spoken to the chairman of deutsche bank i'd spoken to a director of the equivalent of goldman sachs jb weir which was actually bought out by goldman sachs none of these guys could give me a wall to run at and as a young guy who just wants to work their guts out and you know get ahead in life no none of those guys could give me a clear direction as to what to do and here's a guy who although he was very insulting um he gave me a direction to run it. He said, look, here's a 26-year-old who's making quarter of a million bucks a year. He's been doing it for three years. You know, you can do that. And I was like, you know what? You make sense. I'm going to run at that and give it my best. So I left, you know, the world of funds management and investment banking to basically pursue mortgages and was reasonably successful at that, ran a really good business, you know, provided um, a great income and stability. It also gave me a really great understanding of credit markets and how they work and assessing risk. Figuring out, you know, who can afford what and what the banks look for when it comes to assessing, you know, what represents a good good risk to them. Understanding the three C's of collateral uh, of, of lending, which is capacity, collateral, and character. Um, I think we'll talk about Bitcoin as collateral later on in the you know piece, but yeah, yes. this totally um, redefines what what makes a good you know a good loan or a, a good borrower. Um, from there, uh, I had a, a great chat to one of my father's. Great friends and advisors. Who was one of um, who was the chairman of one of our biggest financial institutions here? And this is pre GFC. He said, "Pete, you're on the wrong side of the balance sheet. You need to get to the other side. There's going to be some problems in the mortgage market." So, with that, I reinstituted all of my training in financial planning and the rest of it. Moved to the other side of the balance sheet, so we could give not only advice on credit, but we could give advice on equities, um, investments, and that financial advice revolved around. Um, much more than just you know what are the best investments to make. Um, a lot of the work around the financial planning and advising comes around in putting clients in the best structures for them, because that's where the free, that's where the risk-free return is. You know, if you're sitting in mm. the wrong structure, then yeah. you know you could have a thirty to fifty percent less return by just being in the wrong structure. So I look at that and think, well, this is a risk-free return, so we want to concentrate on being really good at that, because. Yeah, right. the, when you just uh
2: i just want to interrupt there for one second because i think it's a that's a really important consideration for people that i think a lot of people overlook like what you're saying there is like the the way you you structure your own personal like say you're using a trust to structure all your assets into versus you know being a single individual because that way you can take advantage of loopholes i i don't know if you would call them loopholes but whatever you want to call them like tax advantage situations is what you're describing correct correct
0: and it allows you to have discretion in how and when you pay your tax and a lot of the return is based on one of the tax outcomes and you don't want tax to get in the way or tax considerations to get in the way of the investment decisions that you're making, but it is a big consideration because if you put it in the wrong structure yes. then you know you're going to get 50 percent less return on that investment so it becomes really critical to get very good at that because that's where you get your risk-free return I believe in structuring things correctly
1: yeah. I think this is apt for a lot of Bitcoiners that plan on or think that they will be quite wealthy. And I think there's a chance that they will be. Uh, There's a lot of people probably listening to this show that have amassed a fair amount of this asset that the three of us think is going really, really high. And that's going to mean that your estate is going to be a lot bigger than you anticipated. And with that is going to come the necessity for you to plan There are people that can do it on their own, but they're far and few between, and getting advice can save you not a little bit, it can save you a lot if you get to a certain stage and point in life and you're looking to take profits or whatever the situation may be. I guess I just caution people against being overconfident with their knowledge and aptitude when it comes to really efficient tax strategy and estate planning and that sort of thing. We'll get into that more later, but... um, it, it requires a, a real life expertise as, as obvious as that sounds to you. I don't Thanks.
0: think that's that obvious to, to a lot of people. No. And to be fair, I think the Bitcoin community has probably been a little jaded with the advice that they receive from financial planners across the board. And I know yes. there are some exceptions to the rule. Um, you guys have got a number of great advisors and a Bitcoin advisor network over there. I'm very familiar with Morgan Rashad and, and the like um, Jim as well. You know, so I understand the reticence, the reluctance to seek advice from you know that profession on this, um, but there is some substantial benefits that can be gained by doing that, and um, I, I wouldn't be too quick to write it off because there is some significant value that can be derived from having that conversation and sorting that out. And I'll, I'll go into this deeper in a later later point. But you know we do think Bitcoin's going up a lot. We think it's going to be worth a lot of money. Particularly for clients who are based in the United States, ensuring that those assets are protected from any litigation or given the best form of legal structures to defend yourself from litigation is going to become increasingly important. You know, when Bitcoin's at forty or fifty thousand a coin, hey, you know, not too many really really care about it. But if Bitcoin's going to 10, 50, $100 million bucks a coin, which we think it is, or I do anyway, and you know, then <laughs> and we do. that that, that's a that's a very different conversation you know you don't want to be holding all of that stuff personally because then there's just a massive target on your back you know for someone (laughs) bumping i I gotta ask this question right now casually
2: dude yeah i know but I, i i have to ask this question and i don't want to derail where you're going right now i want you to get back on that but what is the time frame that you're that you're talking about when you when you spit out numbers like that uh i think we get to 10 mil by 2030 Really? They should. Is that it is, make a, 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 yeah. I, yeah. You know I what? They, they say outrageous. humans can't really think in exponential terms. That's either A, insane, or B, I just can't think exponentially the way the way you're kind of describing it. And it, it just, it's just hard to believe, but it would have also been almost impossible to, be, to believe in 2012 that this thing was going to be worth $45,000 in 2023. So certainly wouldn't disregard it. I just think a lot of people hear that number <laughs> and either, and, and think that like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. Or there's a lot of stuff going under the hood that a lot of people aren't considering on the other side, you know?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably that, that there are two problems with looking at this. And the first is we don't have a framework for valuing Bitcoin because we've never seen an asset like it. So we don't have a reference point for it. And, you know, I've listened to a heap of your podcasts. I know you boys have studied value investing, Benjamin Graham, you know, all those boys. And, you know, you look at, fundamentally all of those all of those valuation models work around a risk-free rate you know it's a internal rate of return yes. it's a you know free cash flow whatever whatever it is it revolves around an interest rate and then a discounted cash flow to come up with a valuation of a business right. the problem with bitcoin is mm-hmm. there's no there's no cash flow to it there's no interest rate there's no risk-free rate on it so how do you calculate that and then you know most people look at the the nearest thing to it which is gold and think oh well let's put a valuation framework around it of gold and quite frankly i think that's limiting and this is where happy to go through that at a later stage to to tell you how i think because you know basically i've spent a lot of time looking at this trying to come up with a framework for better understanding the potential value of bitcoin and i'll walk you through it i think there's some pretty logical assumptions with it but um i think in in the next 10 years we'll see 10 million bucks of coin which is a 200x from here
1: yeah, I say we do this right now. We're going to we'll round back to kind of advising and stuff, but before we because because numbers have been tossed already, right? It's been whipped out, it's on the table, you know, we just heard the thump, right? And it's time to time to do some explaining and and I think what I appreciate about your tone when you speak about this stuff is you get the skeptics. like You fully understand when you say these things what a lot of people are thinking. And there are moments in Bitcoin, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you're going to agree with this, where you get so bullish and you feel like your understanding is at a level and you feel like the game theory is mapped out to, to move in such a kind of inevitable direction that you end up saying things that you cringe at yourself when they come out of your mouth. You're like, man, I know how people are going to respond to that. And you've said yourself, you generally stand by the idea that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is in markets. And I think that that is not a bad heuristic for most investors. This is part of the reason, Peter, that I am not too cool for the likes of, say, Dave Ramsey. A lot of people talk shit about Dave Ramsey. Oh, he wants 15% mortgages and blah, blah, blah. He pays off debt in the wrong order and all this shit. Dave Ramsey is very practical and he keeps people away from touching shiny, harmful things. Generally speaking, when you go chasing tail in finance, you get fucked over. The challenge is, the three of us are kind of, we have that disposition, but we're sitting here, you're sitting here saying, I understand everyone's thinking that. I think this asset is different. Do the best you can to give us sort of a high level thesis on why you think Bitcoin is so different and and what are the mechanics of how it could amass valuations that are as jaw dropping as the ones you're throwing out. I'd like to
0: look at it from a technology perspective to start with because that's something we can all agree on and you know it's an irrefutable argument. So you know, you look at the technology behind Bitcoin and there are four key technologies that I think are new to, new to market, never, been, never existed before Bitcoin was here. And yeah, the first being absolute digital scarcity. So digital scarcity didn't exist uh, prior to Bitcoin and absolute digital scarcity didn't exist in the universe prior to Bitcoin. So mm. that is a fundamentally very powerful thought that has huge ramifications for a host of different reasons. But that, right.
2: that and it's also a thought that people can't really understand because it just doesn't
0: exist in nature. Correct. And, you know, and um, go on. And this is where we hear the fud about, oh, don't worry, they'll just create another Bitcoin. And what if I create my coin? And it's like <sighs> Anyway, no, you can't do that because of, you know, multiple different reasons. You're not going to have the same network effects. You won't have the hash rates. It won't be supported by the nodes. A multitude of different reasons. But understanding that technological innovation that step function change of creating absolute digital scarcity is in its own right is a hundred trillion dollar invention i believe but here we are talking about bitcoin it doesn't even have a market cap of a trillion moving along to the next innovation with bitcoin is seizure resistant and this is the first time in history that we can store an asset in our head with 12 words and we can literally die with the asset now because you know we're not far removed from Neanderthals. We still don't grasp this concept on a social level, and we still think that if I can kill you, I can take what's yours. You know, bonk on the head, five dollar wrench attack. I'll mm. take whatever's ever yours, and you know, the bit of gold, the piece of paper, the money under your bed, whatever it might be, I can have it. Well, guess what? With Bitcoin, that's not possible. You know, or there is a there is a possible prevention of that, and. You know, this was highlighted in the last two or three years with, you know, the Russian invasion and then the 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 US and the rest of the world basically sanctioning and taking foreign reserves of Russia. All of a sudden, you know, five hundred billion in, in in foreign reserves were literally taken from them. Now, I'm not a Russian supporter, but I'm all for property rights and that kind of looks like a shitty deal. And if Putin had have understood that, hey, there's an asset that no one could take from you that you could put your money in and guess what? They can never get it unless you want to give it to them. I'm pretty sure he would have bought $500 billion worth of Bitcoin and we'd have a market cap at $10 trillion by now. But here we are at a trillion dollar market cap and people, you know, broader community, you know, outside of Bitcoin doesn't really understand the value of having a seizure resistant asset. The next one is in line with this as well, is you know, a censorship resistant asset. Um, As the Government overreach continues and, you know, corporate governance really stretches their their ability to mess with people's um, liberties when it comes to banking and the like. Um, we saw this with the Canadian truckers. Um, I'm not political, but what I do or don't really like about what happened up there is that there was no due process um, for the, mm. the censoring of their bank accounts. And I'm all for censoring bank accounts of, you know, suspected terrorists and the rest of it, but there was no due process there. And that's something I would hate to happen to myself or you or anyone else. And I want to make sure that we have a due process. And this is where Bitcoin is the first asset in in history that is censorship resistant. So, seizure resistant and censorship resistant, you no, know, by themselves are probably hundred trillion dollar you know market caps themselves in their own right. Once people understand that and it's broadly understood, the final thing, and this is where. The bulk of the value in Bitcoin really comes in is having an immutable ledger, supply and issuance, and that is a first-time innovation with Bitcoin. You know, up until now, you you never had an immutable ledger, and this is where you know I look at this and think there are basically three phases to humanity. There's pre-written word, which is basically you know we're running around trying to kill woolly mammoths. Then there's the written word, which is basically everything up until the time that Bitcoin existed, and now we're in the recorded era where basically every transaction on that that blockchain is immutable, can never be changed. Basically, we have a perfect record of history for the first time ever. That is an immense Mm. thought. There's no more fucking around with, Mm. you know, winners write history. Guess what? It's on the blockchain now. You can't fuck with that. That is an immense thought. So a lot of people don't really understand that and the power of that. All of a sudden, that is going to curb human behavior dramatically to ensure I, that we behave in a better fashion.
2: I think, I mean, what you I agree 100% with each one of those points. I think that the fundamental problem is that when you, when you say that, there's a, and I can receive that. And I, I feel like I've, I'm further along with understanding deeply each one of those points now than I was, say, five years ago. Yeah. The problem is, is that most people, receive that information but they can't really fundamentally understand it and i know dan you've had these moments i know i've had these moments and i'm sure peter you have too when you're where you've you've cognitively received that information but you haven't really understood it like it it almost takes some time for that to marinate for you to really come to grips with the, the fundamentals of what this means i i'm not sure that i've really hit baseline base level with all of this yet it's still a lot of it still ruminates and still hits me once in a while. But what I think the real fundamental problem is here is not that none of this, this is all true exactly as you uh, explained it. The problem is for the masses to really come around and understand why this is a big deal. Just, it seems like it takes a lot longer than I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. um, We use email as an example of like a technology that changed the world, but it took a long time. Um, I think the first emails were sent in the 80s. Maybe by 1998, the early majority was involved using it. By 2008, just about everybody, and you know, by 2018, even the laggards, grandmas using Gmail, everybody's using it. That's a good solid 30-year period of time. I think Bitcoin is. Uh, I. I mean, I'm not saying I don't think you're absolutely potentially correct with that 10 million million dollar call, because we are already are you know 15, 14 to 15 years into this thing. And even the people that are talking about this, reading about it all the time, myself is who I'm referring to. I sometimes don't think I truly fundamentally understand this because it's such a, there's so much to really dig into and parse through. Um, I'm just saying it it does take time, like lots of time for, for like for the tertiary people to really come to this understanding. And some people, honestly, I don't think ever really will. They'll just be using this money and be like, Oh yeah, it works. I I And I I also think when it, when it comes to
1: true, truly grappling with something, you kind of need to see it to believe it. And we are still outrageously early in adoption. Peter, I've heard you say you think we're 0.1%. Yep. And I, in some ways, if we really crunch the numbers, I think that may, be, that may be over-exaggerated. So few people understand this. And so if you're a Bitcoiner who thinks that you do understand it, it's hard to really know that that's true until you see it manifest and you see it click for other people. I, I I love your point too, Josh, of receiving information and not understanding. And for somebody that's done a lot of study into Bitcoin, you think in this circumstance, as we do, that you truly understand it and a lot of people are unable to really digest what you're saying. Have the humility to realize this is just a broader life theme that that's true of you too. There's things that people are telling you. There's things you're reading and intaking that you think you understand, but you don't truly, and you need to peel it back further. One other comment I wanted to say, and and hearing you kind of talk, Dunworth, about just the tremendous and momentous innovation that is Bitcoin. I think what's even more powerful, and I'm sure you'd agree, maybe not more powerful, but equally powerful, is the, is the timing of that innovation. Yeah. And I've done this before. I've read this before on the show or gone through this, but I have this slide. I, I gave this talk up in Minneapolis at their meetup a while ago. And one of the sl- slides was basically asking bears to explain how demand for this asset is going to go down. Because I really feel like the onus is now on the other side. You're going to have to explain how demand is going to decline. And so I went through sort of what Bitcoin is and why it's so perfectly timed with what's going on in the world. And a few of the points I made was, it's the hardest money in human history at a time when hard money may be in some of its highest demand, right? Looming sovereign debt crisis, unbelievably obvious debasement forthcoming and already happening. Number two, Bitcoin is anti-fragile money juxtaposed against some of the most comically fragile financial behavior we've ever seen. There's more uh, intervention than really ever before. Number three, it's unconditional and permissionless money in an age of surveillance censorship, capital controls, currency wars, conditioned sovereign reserve assets, like you said, with Russia. And then the final point I made was it's frictionless money in a world with 180 fragmented fiat currencies. So at the end of the day, you start looking at what it offers and then the timing of when it's offering. And it's like, explain to me how people are not going to want this in large quantities. I, I don't. I just have not heard good explanations for how that's going to happen and that's when you kind of sit there and scratch your head and go, holy fuck, this could go through the roof.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, what you just said makes tons of sense. And it reminds me of, a, I think it's, it's either Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger who said, the money is not made in buying. The money is made in waiting. Yeah. Mm, in the sitting. You just buy the stuff and you wait. In, in the sitting, is that
0: yeah, right? And I think that's a throwback. Charlie Munger got that from reminiscences of a stock operator, which if anyone listening hasn't read that book. It is one of the greatest trading books in history. And that's probably a great lesson in it, too, because the world's greatest short trader of all time, uh, Jesse Livermore, um, he was the world's greatest short trader. He made millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in the in the turn of the century, in the early 20s. And, you know, a lesson to all Bitcoin hodlers out there trader, best in the world, died penniless. Just buy
2: and hold. Did you go. I read a little bit about him recently. Didn't he go massively, like, exponential, lose all of his money, made it all back? Didn't he multiple times
0: throughout his life make it and lose all the money? Yeah, he did. And probably one of the most interesting things about him, and that book I would recommend to anyone, just it's a financial, uh, it, it's like an almanac of you know, ha- of great trading decisions and how to trade, even though he died penniless, and that's really the lesson I got out of it. But one of the big <laughs> yeah. things in that book was, um, J.P. Morgan at the time, I think he accounted for something like 4 or 5% of the USA's GDP, which is an insane figure that no Damn. one in history Whoa. has come Really? To. That, holy, wow, I've never heard that yeah, before. Yeah, I, I want to say- That's crazy. He, or it might have been Andrew Carnegie, but J.P. Morgan was on the banking side, Andrew Carnegie, a little bit earlier with the steel. Um, I mean, J.P. Morgan literally bailed out the US at one point before the Federal Reserve. That's right. He, he bailed out the country. He did, and he didn't get it's that wild. done without Jesse Livermore. So he pulled Jesse Livermore, who was holding all the shorts on the market, and he was about to make millions, if not billions, of dollars. And J.P. Morgan literally pulled him into a room and said, "You're going to ruin the country if you cash those in. I want you to throw them." And to Jesse's credit, he literally he didn't cash them in. So you know, it could have been a very yeah. different story if J.P. Morgan, you know, he put his balls in a nutcracker
1: and said, <laughs> "Behave,
0: or these things are going to pop."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what. Ha- that's probably what happened. Probably got dirty. Yeah,
0: I would have thought I so. Bet it did. So, you know, maybe J.P. Morgan, you know, is is not as bad as we think. People are never as good, never as bad as we think. But, um, you know, the U.S. has got right. to, you know, thank J.P. Morgan for avoiding absolute catastrophe and total wreck and ruin, you know, in the early 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. J.P. Morgan was like, I got to stand up this Federal Reserve I don't want to be on the hook
2: the next time these idiots fuck everything up. We'll just have them print yeah. money. Well, let's talk a little bit about self-custody. You, hmm. the Bitcoin advisor- you guys have a custodial model. Um, we want to talk. We, what I would like to do is kind of talk about the the differences, compare and contrast multi sig on your own versus multi sig in the setup that you guys um, are proponents of. What are the pros and cons of each? And just talk a, bit, a little bit about like how you can custody this stuff. Bitcoin, obviously, in a way um, that keeps you and your family safe, even in the worst case scenarios. Like you tragically die in a car accident, and there's a way to recover your funds.
0: I think this is a really important point that a lot of bitcoiners haven't spent enough time thinking about, and I can tell you being on the other side of it, um, you know, having hundreds of clients who self custody Bitcoin, it's probably the most important thing um, or contribution that I can make to this space is to you know tell bitcoiners to start thinking about this because you know, we don't live forever, we're all gonna die, and we need to have a plan in place to recover the Bitcoin because. Everyone here has made such sacrifices to get the amount of Bitcoin that they've got, hold that Bitcoin, to make the changes for their family and potentially provide intergenerational wealth that is going to completely redefine you know, a family dynasty and you know, the future of families moving forward. The first thing I'd say is that you know, um, if you're self custodying this is, um, I'd like to say, you do you. You know, if you're self-custody and you've already got your setup and it's all down pat, then congratulations. I'm thrilled and I'm hoping what we talk about can give you some ideas to improve your setup. The first thing I'd say is when it comes to self-custody, and if you're doing this now, a great test that you can do is basically write down on a piece of paper, um, please move my Bitcoin and hand that to your wife and say no more, or your your partner, or your children, or whoever's you know, going to be receiving it and looking after it. And If they're unable to move those Bitcoins in a satisfactory fashion, they don't have access to it, they can't move it, or they wouldn't know where to start, then there is a serious amount of work that needs to be done to bridge that gap on a knowledge basis. So I'd say start there because that will show you your holes in your own self-custody setup that you've got. And if we go down the line, there's basically a thousand ways to skin a cat. And probably starting with the most simple is Leaving those uh, on an exchange, we all know that's a really bad idea. Get them off exchange as quick as possible, and get help in doing that. Um, I think one of the guys or one of the companies in the space that are friends of this show that I've got enormous amount of respect for, who do this day in day out, is the Looking Glass team with Sab and uh, mm. Seven Daz. You know, they spend, love those guys. They spend hours a day helping people self-custody, and they've got a, a great product that helps you into a single seat. Um, uh, setup and they give you a stack of education and learning and you know they'll walk you through the process and there's all these resources to get into a single sig setup. Personally, I think single sig is fraught with a number of potential problems though in that there's a single point of failure typically. There's also the problem that if you don't securely well if you don't properly secure your Bitcoin uh, seed words uh, you don't have you, you will not know that your bitcoin's been stolen until it's too late. Yes, that is a massive problem. Like you know, you can you can you know you can drive you know five hours west, find a desert, dig a hole, get your GPS, put your seed plate in there, and all of that's good and proper. And you know, ten years down the track, you've still got it all sorted. You think it's good, and then one day, all of your Bitcoin disappears from your single seed wallet. You think, what the hell just happened? I've just lost all of my wealth. Like, what the hell? And this is where the single sig wallet I'm not really a huge fan of because it has that single point of failure. And I want to try and what we've tried to do with Bitcoin Advisor is remove any single points of failure. Because you know, if we think this thing's going to be tens of millions of dollars of Bitcoin, we want to be planning for that now and getting custody setups, you know, basically institutional grade custody for, you know, mums and dads. And this is where the single sig I don't think really cuts it. If that was a $10 million Bitcoin, I don't think people are sending, you know, storing that on a single seat device. So then we move to multi seat, and I love multi seat. I think multi seat has got a whole host of, of different benefits. And I'd probably start with, you know, the software providers. Um, in uh, Unchained, Swan's releasing a product, and I've had a look at that, and I've got to say it looks really good. Unchained's been the mainstay. I've got to say the Nunchuck team have created some incredible readable multi seq products with optionality out the wazoo it's insane how good that stuff is so i'd start with the software providers and work into it because typically what they do is they will hold a key and then you'll hold two of those keys yourself and this is you know an introduction to multi seq that you can then go down the rabbit hole into completely looking after it yourself through the use of sparrow or spectre or an- another another software provider but that's a really great place to start it's not my preferred option though because when you're doing it all yourself with one of them one of the multi-sig providers you still have a single point of failure in yourself in that you hold two of the keys and now the problem is you know to friend of the show luke groman you know you can't ride two horses with one ass now you're staring at mm. two keys trying to look after two keys and make sure you don't lose them because if you do then you've lost all your Bitcoin. So it doesn't solve much of a problem up on what is a single seat device because now you've got two two devices to look after. And if you lose those two devices, then you've kind of lost lost what you've got. The other complication with multi-SIG is that in order to recover your Bitcoin, you also need to take down the wallet configuration, which is really critical. And a lot of people don't really understand critical. that. That mm-hmm. they think, oh, okay, well, if I've got two of the three keys, then I can recover my Bitcoin. It's all good. It's like, no, not only do you need two of the, three private keys but you need three of the public keys and that wallet configuration is kind of a map to show you where it is so you need to actually have three of the public keys and a lot of people don't really understand the most important thing about when you go to the service providers is actually getting that wallet configuration off them and storing Mm -hmm. it in a separate place because what what you want to build into your self-custody setup is you want to have redundancies from everyone involved in the process. You want to have redundancies from yourself. You want to have redundancies from the multi sig provider. You want to have multiple different options. And this is where, for me, the collaborative custody, what we deliver on, solves a, every single point of failure. You're not reliant on yourself. You're not reliant on the multi sig provider. And you're not reliant on us. And this is where removing yourself as a single point of failure provides an enormous amount of peace of mind, from a family dynamic perspective and this isn't you know collaborative custody isn't really about um you know the young bucks who are not your keys not your coins i'm just going to yolo it all in and if i lose it it's a contribution to the network i'm all for those boys (laughs) and yeah i've been there i've done that and sad well not sadly joyously i've actually got a gorgeous wife two young children i've got a large amount of my wealth stored in bitcoin and I don't want to make a contribution to the network. As much as I love you boys, I prefer my family to have the Bitcoin than, you know, make a minuscule improvement on every, you know, Bitcoin holders here, here, yeah. Holding. So I think it's really important once, you know, life events happen that, you know, you're responsible for people, then all of a sudden the recovery of that Bitcoin becomes paramount. And it's not so much about privacy and you know, happy to talk about KYC, non-KYC and the rest of it, but the most important thing in my life and my clients' life is the security of your Bitcoin. And then very closely and just as important is the recovery of your Bitcoin. So what happens, to your point, Josh, about what happens if you get hit by a truck or a bus or you don't wake up tomorrow, then this is- Get eaten by a great white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is where you've got to have that plan in place that is able to recover it. And you want to set it up yourself. And this is where, um, happy to help anyone who wants it, but we make all of the resources available online go through our website there is literally a ton of resources there and we don't want you know us charging a fee to do it for you to stop you from actually improving your your self custody setup yourself so there's a whole heap of checklists that we put up there you can set your own um your own setup and self custody with those benchmarks that we put up to say hey have you thought about this have you thought about that have you thought about you know wallet configs what happens if the multi-seed provider fails what happens if you fail like all of these things need to be considered, and yeah, you know, if we're planning for a multi-million-dollar Bitcoin, these are the things you want to have locked down because you've done the work. You've, you know, you've basically got the ball of the line. Literally, all you need to do is put it over, and you don't want to fuck it up at the finish line. Like that—that'd be catastrophic.
1: Yeah, and you'd rather you'd rather figure this out now at forty thousand than at uh, future Dunworth projections of uh, hundreds of millions. <laughs> I, have a, I, I love everything you just said, and I have, a, I have a couple things to fill in. The first comment is just an overarching Bitcoin custody point, which is that this is early technology. Yeah. And we have to remember that a lot of times early technology is not that easy to use. It sounds great on a podcast or on Twitter to tell people that custodying Bitcoin's so easy your grandma can do it, which is somewhat true, maybe on a single SIG setup. I mean, but if we take the most simple single SIG configuration, it has a really, really, really significant flaw, which you highlighted. And I love the fact that you brought that up of, you don't know if your shit's compromised. Maybe aunt Mary Lynn went upstairs during Christmas and found your words and is going to rug pull you 12 years from now. And you're not even going to know it was her. You know what I mean? So, the point is, you just have your your pants down in one area, and there's no real way to fix that, which then pushes most Bitcoiners eventually, when they get a certain level of seriousness, towards multisig. Now, I encourage everyone that's a Bitcoiner, the fee market's not so out of control that this doesn't make sense any, anymore, regardless of whether you're going to do it or not, go set up your own multisig on Sparrow. I'm not saying it's hard. It's totally doable. Josh and I have done it. Anyone can do it. But then you start thinking about, can my wife do this? What if we both pass away? Can the next person do it? And you start to realize that maybe for a, a techie individual or someone that's experimented a lot with Bitcoin, you can say that multi-sig is super doable, but it's it's the reality is it's not for most people right now. And this kind of leaves us at a point where people are looking for solutions. Now, someone might listen to this and say, well, fuck that. Bitcoin's not that usable right now careful, because that doesn't mean it's not going to work. It just means it's early. A lot of these tools are going to get more automated. There's going to be many things built on, on Bitcoin that are going to lubricate this process. But right now, there's some glass and sand on it. And it's it's not sliding in all that easy for a lot of people. And you may need some assistance. And that's where I we have been saying on the show for a long time that collaborative custody setups make an enormous amount of sense. As you mentioned, though, the onus is still on you. And what I like about what you folks are doing, although it had no solutions perfect. And maybe here You're in great. a second, Josh can come in. I can come in with the reasons that your solution's not perfect. You wouldn't say it is. But the one thing that is beneficial about your solution is, as you've said before, you can literally walk out the door with zero Bitcoin knowledge. Yeah. And not even you, but your your wife can come to you with zero fucking Bitcoin knowledge and have access to the Bitcoin in a situation that is still custody. It's not on an exchange, right? And I think there is benefit there for a lot of people that haven't come in yet, because it was as we onboard orders of magnitude, people are not going to be as hardcore as the current cohort of Bitcoiners right now. And there's going to need to be handholding, at least in this interim term, while this early tech isn't super easy to use. I know that may not sound awesome to Mm -hmm. people, but I think it's the reality.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to, so I'm sitting here thinking like to play devil's advocate, because I know there's a lot of people listening who will think I am completely competent to make my own multi-sig. I don't want to disseminate keys to other people because I don't necessarily know them, <laughs> trust them. Can you give us a little bit more information about how exactly does this work? How do, who are these other institutions? And I know that they're multi-jurisdictional. <laughs> So here's a scenario I want to I want to hear you uh, kind of flesh out for us. This is kind of I mean this is a kind of dystopian future that I hope doesn't ever happen, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. So if you if you are using this kind of a setup with custodians outside of your jurisdiction, let's say I have a key with you in Australia, um, and then there's another one in say Britain, and then I have one in the U.S. If, and these are all Western countries that typically do move in fairly lockstep when it comes to these kinds of draconian regulations. How what happens in the in the potential future where there is some kind of a a jurisdictional lock or not jurisdictional, uh, some kind of a law that is passed that could be happening simultaneously across these jurisdictions that forces those individuals or those entities holding those keys
0: to divulge them? How would that play out? Right question. There's still a multitude of different things that can be set up to avoid that risk. And before I go into it, I'll just answer, having your keys across multi-jurisdictions is a vast improvement of having all of your keys in one jurisdiction. So just understanding sure. that that's a much better outcome than being in one jurisdiction. I
2: don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you. I'm just please trying do, to say devil's advocate. Do. And I, I know people are thinking like, what is the weak spot here? What is the worst possible scenario? And then that's about what I can think is the worst case scenario for this kind of a setup. Um,
0: so yeah, go ahead. Uh, and in, in the interest of your listeners and with with all due respect, go as hard as you want on this, because I think it's a learning experience for all of us to, to understand what this is. And I, I think you owe it to your listeners to just gloves off, just Go as hard as you want to, and yeah. I think it'll be good. Hundred percent. So. Wait, and I <laughs> want to make
1: one clarification here too, because I think we've <laughs> we've explained this, but not in one succinct situation. The setup we're talking about that BTC Advisor provides is that you're in a collaborative custody setup. Let's use Swan or Unchained or Nunchuck or whatever. They hold one key. BTC Advisor holds a second key. You hold the third key. So you have, let's say, one of three. In this
0: setup, that's a fair representation of what we're talking about, right, Peter? It is, yep. And okay, there's all right. Go ahead. Variations on that, but I think that to the question around a coordinated attack on Bitcoin across multiple jurisdictions, that is possible but highly improbable. And the fact that your keys are across multiple jurisdictions should give you some comfort or more comfort than having all of your keys in one jurisdiction. The other thing is, and this is where back to Bitcoin being a seizure-resistant asset, and these are some of the technologies that I think are going to come down the track that I'm personally really excited about. Uh, I'd, I'd probably, I know we had it on the call sheet to talk about it, but I'd probably talk about it now because I think it solves a lot of the issues that you talk of. Firstly, um, there is, although I believe it's impossible for us to collude with you know any of the other service providers and the rest of it, in the next four years, there's going to be cryptographically provable, verifiable Evidence that we cannot collude with any of the service providers. This is what's coming down the pipe. So all of a sudden, that concern around collaborative custody will be removed from the equation, which I'm so excited about. That sounds mm-hmm. real nice. Yeah. Yep. So yep. it gives you that full sounds control. like a,
2: a real nice addition to this.
1: Yeah. And dude, and this is a prime example of of don't write off early tech, as we said, yep. because things are going to be built like you're. You're hinting at stuff like Miniscript or whatever, the programmability of Bitcoin that's going to allow, we know that it's going to allow for things that don't currently exist. And that's not just pie in the sky. These things are already being developed and implemented and Mm. tested, and it's going to move out really quickly. I mean, you're on the front lines of paying attention to this, but the speed at which Bitcoin's being innovated on is something that Josh and I can't keep up
2: with. Yeah for sure. And you know another good point here. Sorry to just take this right out of you. Dan and I are just super grabbing the mic oh, from you. It. But oh. I was talking to Seb about this through text. We were we were talking about like his setup versus what I have going on and really what it boils down to is do you trust that you're not going to fuck up more than someone else is going to fuck you? And for a lot of people, probably myself included if I'm going to be totally honest, the odds of me fucking things up are probably significantly higher than a coordinated effort by people holding these keys to take my money. So that's a consideration that you need to take and you need to actually own yourself. And if you decide to do this yourself, I think it's totally possible. I think most people given a little bit of time and effort can do it, but you are completely on the hook. There is no one to help you. You are on your own in the wilderness with a compass. And if you follow the wrong direction, you're going to fall off the cliff in the darkness.
0: Yeah. Yeah that's that's a dark place to be and we've spoken to people who have had that happen to them you know i can tell you countless stories of you know phishing scams you know clients getting you know taken for 30 plus bitcoin and literally makes me want to vomit um hearing that sort of thing and this is where you know the innovation that's coming down the pipe at the moment is mind-blowing like you know if we talk about that the risk of you know you might hit up v someone else the the mini script programmability that's coming in, you can have like basically a parent key, like a master key in your quorum of keys. This is coming and this will be here in the next four years. Um, I don't think it'll be here for this bull cycle in you know mainstream consciousness, but for the next bull cycle, it definitely will be. And you know, you've know, you got a, a master key relationship where you've got two subordinate keys. And in order to move any Bitcoin, you've got to have the master key side. And when you couple that with a decaying multi-sig that if you lose the master key, then after six months or 12 months or two years, then the two subordinate keys can actually sign a transaction and move stuff for you. Then you get the best of both worlds. You get to be fully you know, fully in Love control that. of all of your Bitcoin. And then if for whatever reason you fuck it up and you know we're all human, so you know it's going to happen at some point in time, you then fall back to the other two keys. And you can have two other professionals managing that. And this is what we deliver on is that, you know, we've been doing this for, you know, we're in our eighth year of doing this for for clients. So, you know, you kind of get good, you understand, you know, good key hygiene, key management, the rest of it. And, you know, we work with professionals like Unchained and Swan and everyone else who, you know, are really diligent in this space. And you get the best of both worlds. And this is what's coming down the pipe. And this is one of the things that, you know, is a, a personal goal of mine. I don't think it's ever attainable, but, you know, it's a nice dream to have is to get every Bitcoin off exchange. And this is where I believe if we're going to move Bitcoin self-custody from 0.1% adoption through to the 10% that I think we can get to, then collaborative custody is going to move that needle dramatically. Because, you know, the Bitcoiners who are here now, this product may or may not be for them. And I'm, I'm not concerned about that. What I am concerned about is getting the remaining 2 million coins off exchange, finding out what price discovery looks like when there's no Bitcoin to buy. And helping those people who aren't technically savvy or want to invest hundreds, if not thousands of hours into Bitcoin to safely self-custody and make sure they don't lose their coins. And this is Mm. the gap in the market. I see that, you know, we really want everyone self-custody. And I understand that there's going to be some pushback from Bitcoin Puritans who think, no, not your keys, not your coins. You've got to own all your keys and the rest of it. It's like, look, that's why adoption's at 0.1% or less, you know. The bulk of people don't want to be responsible yeah. for themselves. And this is, you know, this is as close to perfection as we can get with self-custody of not your keys, not your coins. And, you know, we do have to make some, you know, some sacrifices, you know, no solutions, only trade-offs.
2: Peter, I have the perfect slogan for the Bitcoin advisor. It just came to me. Oh, boy. Bury oh. your seed in the bush. <laughs> <Bury> your <seed. laughs> That'll... <Fettle. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Bury
1: it deep. Bury your seeds. I'm seven sorry. Inches. I've been sitting here for like two minutes, ages. having
2: thought of that, just trying not to laugh. And you're looking at me like, "Why is this asshole laughing while I'm having a?" Se-? Like, I've just been ruminating about this for like two minutes straight.
0: Bury, Bury your seed in the bush.
1: In the bush for your posterity.
0: There's a job in yeah, marketing for you, Josh. Good. Yeah. All right. Uh,
2: you guys can use that. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I won't have a problem. With it.
1: Um. Uh, I. I think. The, we, we think uh, the, mm-hmm. obviously your products way more than this, but for the skeptic that just views it as training wheels, let's say, yeah. well, there's a time and place for training wheels, motherfuckers. Yeah. If you tell kids they can't use training wheels, guess what we're going to have in society? Dead kids, yeah. right? That for, for kids to learn how to ride a bike, they need a way to, to get into it, to get acclimated. And this is a realistic workable scenario for a lot of folks, especially those oncoming. And I also think a lot of the people that are too cool for collaborative custody, not, not all of them, but a lot of them haven't, haven't developed a huge nest egg. It's easy to make that statement when you're 24 years old and you can completely recover from sending it. Right. But once you're a little bit older and you've worked really hard and you, you've amassed some wealth and you have a family, it starts to feel a lot different. And even as a, a a reasonably hardcore Bitcoiner at this point, I have a huge distrust of myself, right? And everyone should, even just psychologically. I mean, people lose their fucking minds every day in the the town we work in. We watch people over and over again, go manic, go schizophrenic. That could be you, right? So even protecting yourself from psychological eventualities, not just the thought of like a traumatic injury and you being wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah. So there's a lot to think about here and and you said it early which I really appreciate. No setup fits everybody. And this is where you have to start exploring and experimenting and thinking and talking. Yeah. This needs to right. be a collective decision with you and your family, your your significant other and and beyond. Like I think when you were on with Peter, Danny said, I remember him saying Fuck, dude. I was just on a plane recently with my wife and I realized if this thing goes down, our Bitcoin's gone forever. Well, I don't want that to happen. I have two little kids. Josh does you got kids, Peter. So you gotta think big
2: picture. Yeah. That's the other thing that's it's very optional for people as well is if, if you don't completely trust yourself and you don't completely trust the Bitcoin advisor, you can always split this stuff in half. Like you could do 5050, you could do, you know, half of it on your own yes. multi-sig, half of it with Bitcoin Advisor. And that way, worst case scenario, <laughs> Stop laughing, man. I can't. I can't. I can't bury, even look bury at it. Ha- bury half your seed in the bush. Bury half your seed in the bush. Pull out halfway, and you can still <laughs> disseminate the seed. You know, to another jurisdiction. Yeah. No, but it, seriously though, that that is not a bad consideration. I've done that with Unchained, and then with my own stuff. And and I, you know, one of my weaknesses, and I would, I'd be willing to bet heavily that this is true of a lot of people. I can't ever be satisfied with the way that I have it set up. So I'll have this setup, and then I'll have another setup, and then I'll like, oh, maybe there's a weakness here that I want to change. But the problem is, you do that enough, and you're just increasing your your uh, the 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 potential that you're going to screw it up at one point. Yeah, like yeah. you make some catastrophic mistake because totally. Let's say you've got ten different cold cards, and one of you know you don't you forget which one is which, or you didn't label them correctly. There's so many ways that you could accidentally fuck yourself over. So, if you don't want to fuck yourself, don't touch yourself too often. Is the mantra mm. there? Yes. I don't know what we're going to label this one, Dan. I think, I think bury your seed in the bush is going to have to be the subtitle of this one. i got to
1: giggles, dude. There's something about Dunworth's face uh, too. And just having spent. by the way, I got to throw in an anecdote here, Peter, we're not going to, we're not going to out you at all, but, uh, Peter in person, uh, is the, let's just say the, the, uh, the, the vernacular is different in person, Josh. That's just it, yeah. things, things fly. Some, some words come out that, that haven't on this podcast, but, uh, um,
2: he's a consummate professional on podcasts and is. I respect I, that.
1: And we, we go to, I mean, that. it's it's hard to maintain the composure he has on this show with two hyenas
0: like us. And I, I hat tip to you, well, Dunworth. Well, thank you very much, boys. It's hard to resist the temptation to pile in on this stuff So <laughs> <laughs> to end your career. Yeah. I wanna I wanna I, yeah, I, I, I was just gonna say <laughs> in conversations with you know um, bitcoiners around the world, we optimize for ourselves and often particularly OG bitcoiners will set up their Bitcoin self custody which optimizes for themselves and it's so perfect for them that no other person on earth can recover it. And yes the point is mm-hmm. it's not about you when you have family or when you have a large amount of wealth that other people are relying on and it becomes in some way shape or form selfish to pursue that route without giving your family members the education to be able to recover it and this is where I think you know the trade-offs we make with collaborative custody is about it's not about being the fastest it's about being able to recover and the collaborative custody protocol that we put together has been tested multiple different times. We've had, you know, three, sadly, we've had three clients pass away and we've been able to recover their Bitcoin from the grave. And unless you're able to do that, then, you know, you've got some work to do. And this is why we make all of the IP and resources available on the website. Because, you know, the last thing I want to see is, you know, Bitcoiners who have sacrificed so much to get get to this point really miss out on the upside or better yet their family misses out on the, on the upside because I dare say, you know, if your household's anything like my household, I'm a complete punish when it comes to Bitcoin and my wife. So, you know, it's just a roll of the eyes and oh, not this again. Do we have to talk about, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is in Bitcoin? Yeah, we do. Well, anyway. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. There's any number of things like that too.
2: Like, Hey, do you remember how to get the safe open and shoot someone if they come in the house? Uh, Sure. Yeah, right. She hasn't shot a gun in like five years, you know? Yeah. Hopefully it goes in the right direction. Just don't shoot me. Yeah, right. I'm probably, see there we are again, like I'm probably more likely to get shot by her than anyone come in the house. You, know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it Let's here first. Let's end here, Dunworth. Um,
1: and this this is, I think, will be a good opportunity for you to give more of a high-level BTC advisor uh, spiel. Anything we haven't hit on from a from an estate inheritance planning standpoint, I know you're you're far more holistic than just multi sig. Talk to us, I guess, a about other just themes or ideas real quick that may not be on people's radar that maybe they do or don't need help with, and then where you kind of come into play and and just the, the the broad offerings
0: that you have. Sure thing. Thank you. Well, I think a, a lot of things that most bitcoiners don't consider is that you know you want to have and it's really morbid to talk about it, but you want to have your last will and testament sorted. You want to make sure that that stuff's locked down, that that Bitcoin goes to where it needs to go. We fulfill a role in the pragmatic recovery of your Bitcoin, and without it, the whole last will and testament and legal system is a moot point if you can't recover your Bitcoin. So regardless of what legal decree there is or what the will says, what your lawyer tells you, unless you can actually recover that physical Bitcoin or non-physical Bitcoin, then you know, you're just pissing in the wind. You're not going to get the Bitcoin and no one's going to benefit from it. So that that's something that's really critical. we talked to touched a lot on that. I think having structures in place is really important. And, you know, the start of a bull run is probably a really good time to have a conversation or address that because putting your Bitcoins in a structure at a time now when they're about to go 5 or 10x in the next couple of years, it's a really great time to do it. In the US, you've got a number of different structures that, you know, can be wildly beneficial for you. Um, you've got... Um, future planning considerations you've got inheritance tax in the u.s that you want to basically nullify if you can there's also the ability to protect your bitcoins from you know the most common form of seizure which is a really shitty topic to talk about but you know the most likely loss of bitcoins comes from your partner that you sleep with and you know if you can't protect yourself from that then you want to put in place the ability to protect your children and their Bitcoin from ever being able to be seized in a family law court, that's a really critical component that you've got to think about. And so mm. that's that's the two major things. The final one is just making sure your setups, you know, as good as can be and actually do a dry run with your partner or your beneficiary or, you know, your children, whoever's going to benefit from that Bitcoin, actually take them through how they do it. They don't have to know how much Bitcoin you've got, but they need to know how to, you know, recover it if you're not there. And, you know, you can set up, you know your Bitcoin in a way that is going to save um, save them from you know potential total loss. Um, it it just takes a lot of time to look at and you know this is why we created the Bitcoin advisor to talk to Bitcoiners about these sorts of things because I don't think it's on on their radar a lot and this is where a lot of the you know the really low hanging fruit as far as returns are um, in making sure all of that is locked down and and squared away.
1: Yeah. I think about, you know, in our line of work, there's this thing that's talked about a lot in education about fire safety called fire drills in the home. And we strongly recommend that families run through these scenarios with their kids. Hey, if smoke starts to come in your room or whatever the situation, what's the order of play? Whether that's close your bedroom door, head outside, meet at the mailbox, whatever. Running through these things, they're very, very unlikely to happen. Hopefully they never will. But running through that scenario with your loved ones is absolutely worth it if the shit hits the fan. The same is true with your Bitcoin. Like Run through these scenarios. Have your significant other put hands on devices or walk you through what they would do if you handed them that piece of paper. I love that word of advice, Peter. Hand them that piece of paper and say, move our Bitcoin. And if they sit there clueless, you've got work to do. We could go forever. Yeah, we didn't get to a lot of this deck, but we'll have you back on. No doubt about it.
0: Uh, where can people find you and BTC Advisor stuff as we close? Uh, the best place is on Twitter, Peter BTC Advisor with an er. Um, alternatively, thebitcoinadvisor dot with an er. Just Google search the Bitcoin Advisor and our, our site will pop up and there's a host of resources there. If uh, anyone wants to book a a meeting with myself or the team, um, our slots are plenty of slots available there. So um, we'd love to help in any capacity.
1: Cool. Thanks for your time, Peter. Appreciate it. Thanks,
2: Peter. It was a a pleasure as always. Great to catch up, guys. Thank you. Bury
1: bury your seed in the bush,
2: folks. (laughs) In the bush. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. If you aren't using Fountain, you should check it out. You can get paid sats to listen to your favorite Bitcoin podcasts. Lastly, if you haven't bought tickets to Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville and you're planning to, use code BCB for 10% off tickets.